Corinthians to translate it that way. No. <laughs> no, but I'm going to start to see it out of this one too. Do it again. Subscribe to Simply Bitcoin. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome in. You made it to another episode of the Meme Factory Podcast. It's test stream number 50. Can't believe we made it this far in just test streams. Um, this evening, if you are lucky enough to join us, we have Dr. Jeff Ross of Valshire Capital. Jeff, could you give everybody here the, uh, the elevator speech on who you are in case they don't know? Sure. So, uh, former doctor turned hedge fund manager, investment advisor. Uh, I, I like to say I'm the class of 2016 for Bitcoin, but I got held back to 2019 because <laughs> I was stupid for three years. Uh, it took me a, a while to figure out what Bitcoin was, and then now I'm kind of uh, fanatical about it. Um, so yeah, I just I manage money, and I like to tell people about why Bitcoin is simply better money for a better world, and that's kind of it. <sighs> My kind of man. Sean, thank you for joining us this evening as well. Big What's Sean. Up? Dr. Up, Sean? Jeff. How you doing? How's it going, man? Good, man. All right. Now, before we, uh, before we get started, I want to make sure we get uh, your sandwich order into Becca while, uh, while we have a moment. Jeff? My yeah. sandwich order? Yeah, you're going to put your sandwich yeah. order. Yeah. You know, um, let's see. I'm kind of a big fan of steak. Do you make like straight up steak sandwiches with maybe some like Philly cheese and some, maybe some onions or something on there? Oh yeah, for sure. Easy. That's okay. like my specialty. Got good, it. good, Delicious. good. Heavy on the steak. Thanks. Yes. Yes. Big, thick one. Yeah. All right. So you just, you're getting a steak <laughs> in between two pieces of bread. Is that what I'm getting here? Pretty much. Nice. Cause I'm just going to throw the bread away and eat the steak. That's yeah. It's just fantastic. steak on steak on steak. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. The double decker. All right. Well, Jeff, the uh, the important thing about this podcast is that we get paid um, because this is the only way anybody in here makes any money. And you're a doctor. I mean, you don't know what it's like on the struggle no. and the grind. But uh, no. our sponsors require us to have uh, the guests read the ad copy. So at your convenience, I've sent that to your DMs. If you can pull that up and read through it. That would be fantastic. Yeah, this is a good one. This is a good company. So, hey, so good evening, plebs. I'm Dr. Jeff Ross, and this episode of the Meme Factory podcast is brought to you by my newest venture, Dr. Ross's Brassic Park. <laughs> Over the last 10 years or so, my team and I have spent literally no time at all developing a project so advanced and cutting edge 
that what we believe will be a reset with today marking the start of a new age. Our aim, to take perma bears from the wild and through mimetic engineering, turn them into 100% sats-fed bulls. Now, anyone who has encountered bears in the wild knows that they hate to be chased by memes exposing their mimetic defects. But with our incessant subconscious warfare techniques, we have found a near 99% conversion rate. The successes are moved over to the Jeffers Heifers section. Sadly, there are always some exceptions with the projects like this, which are fraught with risks. And that's why visitors to our rewilding sections can currently visit bears who did not transition successfully. Like the Peter Schiff and Jim Rickards enclosures featuring gold bears and soft padded walls or the one year old Nicholas Nassim Taleb enclosure, an anti-fragile environment where visitors can expect a litany of abuse for making any comment to this particularly grizzly bear. And finally, there's the Mark Cuban atrium where delighted visitors can watch Mark choose between the world's hardest money and bananas, a site that will leave your child stunned, confused, and then doubled up with laughter. So join me and the Meme Factory team as we push the boundaries of mimetic science and venture into big bear territory where few others dare to tread. And remember, you can trust me. I'm a doctor. (laughs) Well done. Thank you, Hagen. Now, one of the things you were telling me earlier is that Before we start, can I have uh, two two seconds, two minutes? Please go ahead. Well, you informed me earlier, you do whatever the fuck you want. Okay, so... (laughs) First of all, it's not yellow. I have a mustache. I'm not yellow, so I have a mustache. So this is not yellow. So imagine yourself, you're just a pleb. You're going in the Twitter to sit post. You're having fun. You say your mind. And like a, a billionaire out of a sudden, because he is uh, triggered by the things you type and you hurt his emotions, sues you. Like, right? He sues a space cat. Like, uh, what what we didn't know until now is like that guy. Of course, first of all, he has a very small pee We all know that Fektosi has a very small pee It is known now, and I I just want you guys, whoever is listening, to to put yourselves in the place of Hodlonot. He really needs us this time. The, the the that odyssey of his is very close to a happy ending, but like uh, wink wink, not not not, and. Uh, but like he really needs uh, donations. So go to uh, defendingbtc.com. That's defendingbtc.com. You cannot donate like a few shots. And uh, donating and helping out uh, Hodronaut with this is actually helping out Bitcoin itself. So uh, go ahead, uh, plebs, really. Go, a few shots. Like don't drink something like one night, drink something less. Don't go outside like one for one night. Like this is important. So that's it. Thank you. You heard it, people. Don't go outside. Bitcoin. We're all huddled not. All right. We are huddled not. That's right. Now, yellow. Uh, you came up with the uh, stack fight build. I don't know, Jeff. If you uh, have you seen this requirement for any bear market? No. All right, yellow. Could you could you run him through how bear markets are supposed to function on Bitcoin Twitter? Yeah, the, the rules are simple. There are three. One is uh, stack, obviously. Uh, the number two is uh, because we're, we're Bitcoiners and uh, you got to pick a fight, 
with somebody, doesn't matter who, and you tag me to laugh and take a screenshot. <laughs> and third is uh, build. And if you don't know how to build, uh, you just tweet about building. It's the same thing. Uh, it works. We fool the algos and we uh, we'll go to the bull run again. That's how it works. Well, it's also later on in the bull run, we can point to we were building in the bear. Exactly. Because we were tweeting exactly, about it. Exactly. We have mm -hmm. the proof of uh, work. Right. So I like it. That being said, Jeff, how are you progressing in this bear market? Have you started any fights? Are you stacking sats? Well, I'm always stacking sats, right? I mean, I've been stacking for – since I got out of my stupid club in 2019, I've been stacking on a weekly basis. Um, you know, I don't fight much with people. I'm more of a lover, not a fighter, you know, mm -hmm. bridge builder. And uh, But I, I, I get into it every once in a while. I don't get into it with, with the altcoin world as much as I get into it with um, – uh kind of like um statists and government pro government people who are very pro dollar pro fiat system those are the kind of people i get into it with like uh you know financial types who who uh hack on bitcoin so so i guess i do kind of get in it with them um uh because they're smart and they should know better, but they're primary beneficiaries of the fiat system. And so I kind of have an ax to pick uh, or grind with them, I guess I should say. And then build, you know, my, my way of building is I, I, it's education. I just try to teach people about Bitcoin all the time, teach why it's better money. I try to keep it really simple with people, talk about how stupid fiat is and how awesome Bitcoin is. It's really easy to compare and contrast the two. I don't get into the whole like Bitcoin versus Ethereum stuff. No offense if you guys do, because I just think that's stupid. I think they have nothing to do with each other. And I can't stand when people sit and like have huge rooms with hours and hours where they're comparing and they're, you know, having a pissing match over it. It's had nothing to do with each other. Ethereum has literally nothing to do with being better money. It's just a complete joke and waste of time to get into that kind of stuff. So that's my take on it. That's how I spend my time. That's what I'm doing in my bear market. This is awesome time to be stacking sats, not only because it's, you know, bear market, but I think Bitcoin is just dirt, dirt cheap right now, like seriously cheap right now from a long-term perspective. If you look at demand-based models and things like that, like everybody should be stacking as hard as they can right now. So that's what I'm trying to do. What is a demand-based model? Just looking at kind of S-shaped uh, adoption curves of like t technologies that change the world. So like the internet uh, adoption, cell phone adoption, uh, electricity adoption, those kind of things. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the um, supply side models like Plan B's model. I think it has to do with just is demand picking up. And I think we're so the S-shaped curve, as you guys know, is like this. We're right here at the bottom right now. There's like 1% of the world uh, owns Bitcoin and, and we still haven't hit the vertical phase of adoption yet. And I think that's coming. And I think that's going to be just literally like nuts and just totally insane for uh, price action and, and hyper Bitcoinization in general. Um, so I think so you can plug those kind of models and look at like how fast the Internet was adopted, how fast were cell phones adopted, those kind of things, and chuck a price on there uh, kind of that's correlated with the adoption rate and then see where Bitcoin should be. And right now when I use those models and there, there's several of those models out there, I kind of use a conglomerate uh, conglomerate of those models. I think a fair like base super cheap price of Bitcoin right now should be about 35 K. 
Um, and so, you know, we're sitting at what, 23 right now. So it's very cheap and that's just very conservative. That's, and that's what happens when you're in a recession, right? So liquidity is being sucked out of the system right now. Risk assets in general are just getting destroyed. Uh, we're having a little bit of a, a bullish run right now, but I think we're going to go down further when we hit the next phase of the recession. Uh, it's going to get rough, uh, pretty rough. When you say we're going to go down further, do you mean stock markets in general? Do you mean Bitcoin? What are you talking so, about? So risk assets in general get, get really hammered. And so, I don't think of Bitcoin. I think probably none of us here think of Bitcoin as a risk asset, right? We think it's like the ultimate safe haven asset. It's the greatest savings technology that's ever been created. But we're in the hugely small minority. Like nobody understands Bitcoin, like only a handful of us do so far. So most people think of it still either like crypto, which bugs the crap out of me, or they think of it like a small tech stock. Um, and so uh, it trades like those. That's the market, like algorithms, huge hedge funds, institutional funds that run massive amounts of money. They have algorithms that basically are like when the NASDAQ plummets, biz sell your Bitcoin too, you know, like and when and, and when tech stocks go up, then Bitcoin should go up. Uh, that's how the algorithms work right now. So we have a lot of education to do teaching people that Bitcoin is actually the world safe haven asset and not a risk on asset. In traditional markets, uh, like a, a bull bear cycle, how much, how long does it last? Like the bear, the bear phase, how long does it last usually? Yeah, so this is a legit recession that we're just, just starting to dip into right now, like comparable to 2007 to 2009, and then the dot-com uh, bubble of like 1999 through 2002. These can actually last a couple of years. So for perspective, when the Fed starts raising the federal funds rate, you know, we're in a rate height cycle right now. Everybody watches what the FOMC meeting minutes have to say. And the next time they're going to raise rates is the end of September, September 21st. Um, so when so they're going to stop raising at some point, we'll see. It depends on what inflation does. But say they stop, uh, say their last rate raise is uh, September 21st and they raise it up, say, 50 basis points and it's up to like three or they even go to 75 basis points is up to 3.25 percent. Um, and then they stop. Tradition says the um, equities markets don't bottom for a full 21 months after the Fed stops hiking rates. Woo. So okay. 21 months, that's like, you know, a year and three quarters. That's how a many long blocks is that? That's, that's a good timing <laughs> with the halving, though. It's a lot of block. It is good timing with the having. That's why I think it's legitimate and it may happen. Although I think it's moving a little faster this time around. I think things just move faster and the Fed is hiking really fast this time. So they're trying to break things really fast because inflation is high. Um, so it could come more quickly than that. I think it happens. Uh, we may see a bottom as early as like the first half of 2023. When you say they're trying to break things, you're talking about the Fed. What, what yep. kind of things is the Fed trying to break? So they've said very clearly they're trying to destroy demand, right? So they, inflation is too high. They say the supply demand curves, remember these are out of balance right now. There's a limited amount of supply. There's too much demand. They want to bring demand down to meet our, our, our low supply right now. Um, so what they do is they raise rates. And what the effect of raising rates does is the the easiest impact is to see what it does to the mortgage uh, residential real estate market. So the 30-year mortgage rates have basically doubled over the last year, less than a year. Um, that makes the cost of buying a house way harder for people. So if you're, you know, a first-time home buyer, you haven't been able, you can't afford a house right now because mortgage rates are about five and a half, six percent uh, or so. Um, prices are starting to roll over. So that's one of the things they're breaking. We saw this just crazy high bubble in real estate that's rolling over right now and it's starting to come down. Um, 
they know they're going to break the stock market too. They talk about that. Um, commodities come down. So we had this huge, you know, parabolic move in oil and other commodities that's already broken and started to come down as well. Um, so yeah, they're doing all that and they're doing it all intentionally with the hope. And I think they'll succeed that it's going to bring down inflation. Basically when people can't, when you lose your job, you can't afford stuff anymore because your groceries are so expensive and you can't even pay for gas to get to your job or go wherever you're going to go. Um, prices come down, right? You can't buy stuff anymore. So there's way less demand. So they're destroying demand. And, and they talk about that like it's a noble thing. But what they're doing is just wrecking the lives of just millions and millions of Americans. They're going to drive the unemployment rate way up. Uh, and then but, that's how they're going to fix it. it's not inflation. up yet, right? It's not, it's up, not yet. up yet. It's yeah. that's, a, that's the most delayed. It's the most lagging of indicators. Um, but it's happening. The stuff that I look at is kind of, um, you know, I get sort of a first look at that stuff. And it's starting to happen. And all of the major companies from large caps all the way down to small caps, small businesses in the U.S. have already 50% of small businesses have already initiated hiring freezes or they're already starting to lay off people. So we're going to start seeing it in the data uh, pretty soon. Why so, and how do you get a first ahead. look at that? I pay for research that just looks at data as it comes in day by day, it like collates all the stuff. We were, anybody could do it if you were like meticulous enough and you, you could just watch like, you know, every single day there's new data that data points that come in. What are small businesses doing? What is the manufacturing index doing? And you can go through all that stuff. I pay for a service that's like a hedge fund level of service so I can see that stuff come in and it's Wall all Street Glassnode. What's that? Wall Street Glassnode? <laughs> kind of like Wall Street Glassnode, actually. Yeah. Yep. So it's available to everybody, but it takes a lot of effort to put it all together. So Rusty, you wait. So yeah, Rusty, wait. Okay. You're, so you're in everybody's face. <laughs> you want to ask something, man? Yeah, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask uh, Jeff. So you had answered. You'd answered uh, Yellow's question about normally it takes about 21 months for the securities markets to bottom out after yep. after the Fed hikes. In those historic times, was the Fed, were they pivoting back quickly? Like, were they dropping rates super fast? Or do you foresee that the Fed could drop rates a lot quicker than they have historically done to make that bottom happen faster? Yeah, great question. I do think they're trying to move much more quickly. Like these two, they did two 75 basis point rate hikes in a row. They've never done that before. That's really fast. So they're they're literally trying, it's, it's sort of like the Silicon Valley model, right? Move fast, break things. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to break it as fast as possible to break inflation. If you don't break inflation quickly, it gets out of control. Like they spent a decade in the 1970s trying to fight inflation unsuccessfully. Uh, and so they don't want that to happen. Because what happens is, Stuff starts to rise, right? Prices of everything starts to rise. People can't afford it. It forces employers to raise their salaries, their wages, which is a good thing usually, but they're just doing that to keep up with inflation. So price inflation. So, so then all employers across the board raise their minimum wage, raise their salaries of all their employees. And then that has another effect where then prices start to inflate even higher and you get it's called a wage cycle a spiral that spirals up and up and up and you can't stop it once it gets started so the fed knows that and they're trying really hard to uh squash inflation uh, before it gets out of control rusty did you have a question yeah i did yeah it was a dangerously close to sean's question but um uh but i because I, I don't know if this is just hopium but we're like talking about the bottom happening faster but all, all the previous times where this is this has kind of happened, this cycle, um, it, it, we've never had this amount of extra money in the system, like waiting on the sidelines. So does that is that going to make things move quicker? 
when uh, when when things start to turn around again. It could, but what's happening right now is we're having this kind of bull, this bear market rally, right? And it's actually legit, and we can talk about this too. I think this is phase two of a recession, which normally, which a typical like serious recession has three phases. I'll go through that real quickly. Phase one is when you see this rapid increase in commodity prices, especially oil. Oil tends to go parabolic and equities go down. So they, they diverge like that. Uh, everybody's freaking out about inflation. They say the Fed needs to do something, blah, blah, blah. Then what happens is oil peaks it, it, you know, after going parabolic and the back of oil gets broken and it, it descends rapidly. So I was telling people back when oil was like 115 or 120 a barrel, I'm watching this very closely. I expect it to go under $100 a barrel. That's That will be the start of phase two. And, and it did that, right? So now oil is back down to about $90 a barrel. What happens then is uh, equities since mid-June have then been increasing. So we've been seeing a, a relief rally. I call it a disinflation relief rally. So Inflation has been defeated, or at least it's not running away from us anymore. It's We're seeing disinflation going forward. Equities party, risk assets party, they come back up. That's what we're in right now. That's phase two. Phase three is when the world realizes, like, and I call it the oh crap moment. Oh crap, like we're in a serious worldwide recession. Like this is serious. This is where like things start breaking. Businesses are like stopping. They're firing people. All this kind of stuff, like things are really terrible. And that's when the floor drops out under risk assets and under commodities. So this happened in late, the th basically fourth quarter of 2008 and first quarter of 2009. If you guys were around back then, everything just dumped. And it, it felt like the world was ending. Like banks were going under, you know, Lehman Brothers, all that kind of stuff. All crazy stuff was happening. That's when the Fed stops in or steps in and is like, we got to like do all this like crazy stuff to try to shore up the system. So to your point right now, I think we're in this relief rally right now. I think money is coming off of the sidelines. We had a kind of a historically low level of uh, leverage, which was good. And now leverage is coming back into the system for this rally. I think it continues. It's going to suck a lot of people in. And then the floor is going to drop out and everybody's going to get wrecked. And we're going to have another big major leg down, unfortunately, um, for lots of assets. So, by the way, I'm not as bearish on Bitcoin as I am for basically everything else. And that's because Bitcoin took such a huge hit with the whole Terra Luna debacle. Yeah. And, you know, Celsius, Voyager, all that stuff. That was like a, a unexpected, you know, it got punched in the face first. And then it's like it got kicked in the shorts uh, by, by that. It like wasn't expecting that. And that took so much out of it that basically it weeded out all of the speculators. And it just left the old, the OG left who are the people like us who are sitting there, you know, do dollar cost averaging. We're never going to sell. It could go down to a hundred bucks and we'd still be buying it. And we still would think it's going to go up, you know, to a million someday. Um, so there's not a lot of speculators or lettuce-handed people left. It's just it's just the diamond hands. Has it? You said left-handed people left. Let it lettuce-handed. <laughs> okay. The fact that Bitcoin isn't like uh, doing the same thing as the as the traditional markets with the relief uh, uh, pump is it like a sign that is decoupling, or is it a sign that it already uh, uh, are in like in the phase of consolidation until? What's what's yeah. So my take on it is so so Bitcoin is the world's freest market, right? It's the only market that is still that's that's not controlled by anybody. It's not manipulated. There's not stuff junk happening all there with all these regulations. It can tell what's going on. Like it sniffed out trouble under the economic hood all the way back on like November 8th of 2021 when all of us were just psyched and we were like, it's going parabolic. It's going to go hit 100K. I was one of these people. And it's like, nah, there's there's trouble coming. It knew that we're going to have the uh, negative GDP print for the, fir for the first quarter of um, 2022. So I think it looked ahead. So I think it's also kind of looking ahead right now. And it's like, 
we're not out of the woods yet. Like this is not over yet. So, so the equities markets are rallying. Crypto is rallying. But Bitcoin is kind of like, yeah, I don't know. You're like, you can get into it if you want, but we're still seeing liquidity contracting throughout the whole world right now. This isn't a time to get super bullish. Like, so um, that's my that's my read of it is because it's the smartest and freest market. It's it's just being kind of hesitant and cautious. And I think it will kind of. I, I keep t I talking about this concept of a slow grind higher. I think we're going to see it just kind of slowly go a little bit higher. And equities markets are going to do this, and cryptos are going to do this. And it's just going to kind of keep creeping up. But I think it's going to hit another kind of lower high. And then when the next phase of the recession hits, phase three, um, it's going to come down. But I don't think it's going to come down to as low as it was. I think it hit 17.6 recently. Um, I'd be surprised if it gets that low again. Personally, I might be wrong. But um, uh, that's how I view Bitcoin. She's got a bad it's habit the, of taking the path of most pain. It does. It does. Oh, yeah. Has Bitcoin historically been a leading indicator for uh, for equities markets? It has. It's a, one of the leading. And so so other things that respond almost as quickly or just as quickly, small cap stocks are also very, uh, you know, they're good indicators. They're very fast. They, they figure out what's going on. And that makes sense, too. Right. Small businesses, they're most keenly aware of what's going on in the economy. When the government punches them in the face, they feel it first and most quickly. The huge stodgy Silicon Valley tech companies. They're, you know, they're so huge and they have, you know, they're, they're, they're chummy with the government governing officials. So these regulations don't affect them nearly as much as it affects small businesses. So I look at small business equities and Bitcoin as the two leading indicators. Now, you said that uh, nobody's messing with uh, the price of Bitcoin with um, nobody's pulling any regulatory tricks. I think part of that's there are futures ETFs, but there's not yet a spot ETF. Does it change? when we end up getting a spot ETF for Bitcoin? Yeah, it will. And I think that's inevitable. A lot of people get worried about that. I'm less worried about it um, just because that's necessary. If In order for Bitcoin to become uh, adopted worldwide and to become ubiquitous throughout the world, it's going to get financialized. It just will. But people aren't going to be able to play quite the same games that they play with fiat, right? You can do anything with fiat because it's just this joke money. Um, Bitcoin is different. Like it, it holds you to an honest unit of account and it moves quickly. So like, unlike gold, which is also an honest unit of account for the most part, it moves so slowly that you can make all these paper products and derivatives and things that you, you can manipulate it much more easily. Bitcoin is going to be harder to manipulate, but I still think they're going to be bad actors that are still going to do bad things and still uh, manipulate it. But I, I'm, I'm optimistic that it won't be nearly as bad as what we see in the current securities markets. Jeff, even with gold. if, yeah. uh, if the Bitcoin casinos can like at some point, uh, at some level, do fractional reserve with Bitcoin and like do rehabilitation and all that stuff. If. Like, yeah, we know it. They do in some level. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, so don't so you like, think, don't you think BlackRock can do the same thing and in a bigger sure. volume? Yeah, I think they will. I, I think anytime anything Wall Street touches, they they just turn it to garbage, right? And they just they're gonna figure out a way to profit more from it and to screw regular people out of their Bitcoin so they can have more of it. So they'll do that kind of stuff for sure. I mean, and I think some of that goes on already. They play games in the in the markets. They trade things after hours. They put in huge orders and then they take them away, you know, to kind of psych people out. The, it, the market is still so small. So even though Bitcoin is, is, is spreading out rapidly and it's organically spreading among people, 
the um, the actual tradable Bitcoin that's on exchanges is so tiny relatively to any other major asset class that it's kind of easy to mess with. And especially if you have the lettuce handed or the left handed uh, people, you know, the non diamond handed people who aren't really convicted about Bitcoin and they're just sort of trading it and they hope to make money. They're really easy to manipulate. You can freak them out easily, scare them out of it and then buy back at a lower price and, and vice versa. So I think we're going to see that in Bitcoin, unfortunately, just because. So, so are you saying that? Even if we're going to see that kind of like uh, manipulation, not manipulation, like uh, fractional reserve by BlackRock, let's say, like uh, basically uh, allowing allowing them to trade Bitcoins that don't exist, right? So even if we're going to see some kind of uh, scheme like that, the, 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 the influx of like incoming capital to the market is going to be more than the bad thing. Yeah, I still think that's going to add to a lot of volatility for a long time with Bitcoin. But those of us who just buy and hold it are going to really benefit from it. Like when these people come in, when BlackRock brings in their nine trillion of assets under management, that's going to make a dent on the price for sure. And so, yes, it's going to be volatile. But if we're not stupid and we don't get scared out of our holdings, it's going to go up so much and it's just going to be volatile all along the way. And it's going to be very volatile, I think, for like this entire decade. So just got to hold it and not worry about reading the headlines and worry about what these guys are doing. Speaking of headlines, I mean, you, I want to get back to the spot ETF because you said something interesting when you were on uh, the investors podcast, you think Gary Gensler's holding it hostage, holding the spot ETF hostage. Um, and I didn't think you guys did enough exploration on why. And I want to get your input there. So first of all, I actually think Gary Gensler is a fan of Bitcoin. I think he's made it extremely clear that he thinks Bitcoin is distinct from all of the other altcoins, right? He says this is commodity money. It's decentralized. It's apolitical. It's 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 not under the jurisdiction of the SEC. So basically, it's not a security. All of this other stuff is a security. Basically, all this stuff. There's a couple of things, you know, that Bitcoin imitators, the Litecoins, Bitcoin Cash, those garbage things. Those are actually more like Bitcoin in his mind. He doesn't view those as security. He just views that as commodity money. Now, we all know that those are the losers, right? They tried to compete with Bitcoin and they've lost. So so I don't really worry about those. All of the rest of the altcoin worlds are unregistered securities in his mind. I say he's holding a hostage. I actually personally think, and this is my tinfoil hat theory, I think yes. he is being I think he's being held hostage by Janet Yellen and the Treasury and people at the Fed because they do not want to give credence to Bitcoin. They don't want him to say it's okay. Yes, it's a commodity money. That means they're saying it's a legitimate competitor to the U.S. dollar. Right. And when the U.S. government takes this very seriously, like we we run the world with the U.S. dollar and our whole, you know, military backed dollar and, and petrodollar system. We don't want to admit that Bitcoin is legitimate money. And so I think they're basically telling him, you can't, you got to make up excuses to say we can't pass this spot Bitcoin ETF. So he's diverting the attention to all of the garbage that happens on Coinbase and all these other casinos where they're basically facilitating the, the trade of unregistered securities. So I think he's just doing all of this to buy time. He says the reason why we're not passing this spot Bitcoin ETF is because of all this garbage that happens over here on Coinbase and Kraken and they're, you know, and they're they're dealing with unregistered. And if you think about it, it has nothing to do with Bitcoin, right? But but he's he's focusing the headlights over here. And again, I think it's because he's being pressured to do that. And so at some point it's inevitable that a spot Bitcoin ETF gets approved. 
Um, but I just, I don't know when that's going to happen. So that's my take on it. I'm just making that, that up. I'm kind of reading through because when I read his stuff and see what he says, he's very constructive about Bitcoin and he knows exactly what it is and what it isn't. And so, um, I don't know. I think he would push it through today if he was able to, if he wasn't being pressured. Oh, uh, I have a pain just beneath my, um, one arm, yellow arm here. Uh -huh. uh, when I touch it, uh, it kind of hurts um it's kind of red you know there's a is it your left arm yeah okay uh, what do you think it is because i think uh, you're the doctor right yeah so what i think it is is you probably have an ingrown hair and you have a, a oh, yes, sir, like yeah you have a little you got a little abscess forming in there so what you need to do is get a sharp knife make sure okay. it's sterile and you just lance it slice it open and squeeze the pus out and oh. then you'll probably find that little hair that's in there you'll be better in no time Okay, noted. <laughs> Pour some Red Bull on it, make sure it doesn't get infected. Yes, <laughs> Red Bull will take care of it. All right, so... Uh, all right. I, just had, I had one more question going into the security stuff, right? And I don't know how much you've studied or in, in securities law, but it's just a, a random thought that came up. So what happens if Gary Gensler comes out and says, hey, look, all of these things are unregistered securities. We're going to start regulating them. What happens to, like, what's the... How does that play out? Would they all just go to zero immediately? They all get delisted, or how does that even they have to get listed on some some like Nasdaq or something like that? Yeah. So so say they do that and they come down hard and they basically say any exchange that has any ties to the U.S. We were shutting it down. You cannot, you know, facilitate the buying and selling of unregistered securities. I think they could do this, by the way. I think what would happen is immediately, so everything would go underground, right? It wouldn't, they, you can't shut those things down necessarily for the most part. The ones that have clear, like they, you know, all of these are partially, at least partially centralized. So you can go after the founders, you can go after, but you can't really stop them very well. Um, so the way to stop them is say, okay, it's illegal to buy or sell any of these on, on US soil or any US, you know, related kind of thing. I think 99% of altcoins would instantly disappear. Not, 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 I shouldn't say disappear. They would instantly become irrelevant and trend to zero quickly. Um, and then the few that like the Ethereum and the whatever that people are still kind of into, I think those would hang around, but they would kind of go underground and there'd be sort of a black market. Kind of what happened in China when China banned Bitcoin miners and stuff. People were still buying and selling Bitcoin in China. It's just you had to do it under the, you know, hidden from the purview of the, of the Chinese government. So I think that same thing would happen here in the U.S. They just become, you know, black market kind of stuff. So I want to know about your worst trades. Oh yeah. What are the uh, okay. what are the biggest mistakes you've made since uh, since you started Valsher? My worst trades by far. Um, well, I have one. I have two. Two that were similar, and so you'd think I would have learned after the first one. Two were Chinese stocks. Ooh. Where I trusted that well, and they were they were on U.S. exchanges, and I'm like, okay, so they have to be legitimate because they have to comply with SEC rules with their with their uh, you know data formats and all that kind of stuff. They just lied. They just flat out. One was a coal. One was a coal <laughs> company called Puda. P U D A. Coal. I still remember this distinctly because I was way up on it. And then just one day, I was like, "Oh, it's all a fraud. The it's literally worth zero. And it went like it went from here to like down worth like two cents in one day. And I lost ninety nine percent of my investment just like just like that. 
And so yeah. that was the first lesson. And then years later, I actually invested in another Chinese company. And you guys might have heard of this called Luckin Coffee. It was kind of like the Starbucks of China. No. And I'm like, oh, sweet. And I love this story. And it was growing super rapidly, all this kind of. And then the exact same thing. It's like, oh, guess what? We've misstated all of our documents. None of this is true. We're actually a super crappy coffee company. And it went, <laughs> and it dropped. And, I, and I, I was actually at a value investing conference when it happened. And I, I was watching my phone. I'm like, I just lost 96% of the value. So those are by far my stupidest things. It's like trusting the system that they they have to be honest. You know, I'm a trusting guy. I'm like, they they can't really be lying about this stuff. I mean, otherwise they'd get in, a, in huge trouble. But when you're in China, you're like, I don't care. Screw you. You know, like, what's the SEC going to do to me? No. So <laughs> so those are by far my stupidest trades. It's, it was trusting the info. It's kind of like what happened to people on like Celsius and Voyager too, right? Like they trusted... Mashinsky that like he was taking good care of their money that he wasn't doing stupid stuff with it they they didn't you know most people didn't know that they were you know loaning their money out everybody was loaning to 3AC 3 hours capital and it was all unsecured debt basically so they had nothing to do if they lost their money and it's like oh whoops sorry it's all gone like we can't make you whole you know, you know what, what I mean? Jeff no uh, you really touch me here now uh, hopefully not under the arm help you yellow is going to help you uh, I, really, I really like you, man. So I'm going to DM you my Addy. Uh, you send me one Bitcoin. I'll send you two back. <laughs> Are you serious? That's a great deal. <laughs> so I could double my Bitcoin if I just send you yeah. one? Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it after the show. And Yellow isn't even based in China, so you can totally trust him. Yeah. I, I trust made, you, Yellow. I made it China, I think. But... <laughs> <laughs> so what yeah. lessons... Are you uh, have you internalized from that? Is it just you don't deal with Chinese stocks anymore, or is it a particular news source? What is it? Just doing due diligence. I mean, it really comes down to that. It comes down to that for everything. You know, every investment is like that. There are all, and and knowing what you don't know, and it's what you don't know that really kills you, right? So for most of the time, you can trust the information you're given for lots of things. But it's what you don't know that that's where the risk comes in. Like I never had any idea that this kind of thing would happen, that you could just literally just flat out lie for years and years and years on your financials, you know, pull an Enron or, you know, these other famous things. Sure, I'm I like, I, I would never fall for that, you know, like, and I, and my, you know, my spidey sense says this is safe. I, it was just stupid as lesson learned, you know? So if you're going to invest in things that you can't, that's hard to do due diligence, due diligence on, like, for instance, you know, I still have friends that are into the, you know, any altcoin, like you, you have, you think you know about these companies, you know, nothing about them. They say they're decentralized. They are not decentralized. Like they say they do all they are. I, I love this quote, by the way, the old Mark Twain, or it's attributed to him way like hundred years ago, he lost a ton of money on um, gold miners. And so he then said like, what is a gold mine? It's a liar standing next to a hole in the ground, which is a great quote. <laughs> You guys heard that? No. So I say, what it, what are, what is crypto? It's, it's a marketer standing next to a white paper. Like it's, it's just somebody saying something that does something and we're like, sweet, you know, and like, let's pump it, you know, and that you, nobody really knows what it does. Nobody understands the protocol. No, you know, hardly anybody can understand the code. They don't care. All they want to do is pump their bags, you know? And so all these guys are, is they're 99% of them, just people lying to them, trying to get their money. And you hope to get out before, you know, before you get wrecked. So those are the lessons learned. Like, do your due diligence and understand. The sad thing is that it used to be like uh, uh, the so-called Dijon, like uh, traders used to like read white papers. The white papers was kind of like decent, like uh, written, you know, like, but now 
they 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 themselves also know that most most of those stuff are scams but like they're watching the people like where are the people going so we're gonna go there flip that flip that and that's it mm-hmm. they don't care if it's a scam or not like right and they, and they don't care if they're getting scam or not and i'll tell you what's tragic for me and we know we all know famous people who have been pretty hardcore bitcoiners who have then gone to the dark side usually through venture capital. So rich Bitcoiners that then mm-hmm. get enticed into this other world. And it's because venture venture capital what is, a, is already a super lucrative field. You can do venture capital on crypto and make 10 times the gains, 10 times faster in crypto. So all you do is you find some crappy crypto that does something that's going to change the world. Sacrifice those morals. Exactly. No morals, right? You're, it's, it's, and that's what I tell people all the time. Crypto is just um, venture capital awkwardly glued to a blockchain focused on an exit strategy. And they can do this in five months and they can make 100x their money by just hardcore marketing and you get all your Silicon Valley buddies to all jump into this. And they, the price goes like that and they, they're like, thanks, see ya, we're out. And all of the Ma and Pa investors that thought this was some great new world-changing product, they get just destroyed. Bad. It happens over and over and over again, and it just drives me nuts. So those are the kind of people I like to pick fights with. Getting back to the original nice. question. And by the way, when you're when you're getting into these fights, you you can't forget to tag yellow. Yes, yellow. Not, I'll tag you going forward. Perfect. Nice, nice, nice. Now, yep. so gun to your head. What's uh, what do you see as the top for the next cycle? I know the question is extremely silly, but like gun to your head. Well, I'll tell you one thing is I don't believe in four-year cycles anymore. Oh, interesting. I think that Bitcoin is officially its own huge major macro asset that it now trades like a macro asset distinct from the four-year. So obviously the four-year cycles are awesome, but I think the reason why they happen the first two times around is that Bitcoin miners had everything to do with the price, right? So after the halving, it dropped in half and they had to sell their stuff to get their equipment and update everything. And we had this huge kind of natural cycle that was led by the Bitcoin miners. Mm-hmm. Now it's different. Now the miners are all public. Lots of them are public entities. They have access to the, the debt and equities markets. Did they you don't say need to- this time it's different. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I say this going forward, it's different. I, so, so that's why I think it just trades like a macro asset on its own right now. And for now, it trades like a risk asset because people don't understand Bitcoin. At some point, it will morph over into the world's ultimate safe haven asset. People are going to be like, why would I flock to the dollar when I'm scared or when I think there's a recession coming? I'm going to flock to Bitcoin. And that's what people are going to do. And that's and so Bitcoin is so Bitcoin's going to be super volatile, but it's going to continue to increase rapidly in price. I'm still I got your question. Yellow. I'm still you're asking about what I so so say like in four years from now or yeah. three years, what would the cycle high be for Bitcoin? If yeah, we after, have a, after, after the next halving the top. Yeah. So, again, I don't care about the halving, but I think after the recession, we're going to bottom, I think, sometime in 2023, probably, whatever that is. It might. So I think we probably already may have bottomed. There's a chance it gets that low again or lower. I don't, I don't know. But somewhere around there, somewhere around where we are now. And then we're going to get back into bull market mode. So central banks are going to be back into we're going to add liquidity into the system again. Banks will be lending again. The monetary supply will be increasing. Risk assets will do well. And what will do the best is Bitcoin, right? So I think Bitcoin um, got hosed last uh, in the fourth quarter of 2021. It actually got hosed twice. The first major hosing was from China. 
right? China banned it. It mm-hmm. was actually on it. It was starting all the stuff that I look at. It was going to start going oh, parabolic. Yeah. And then China running. just, yeah. And then China punched it in the face and it just got hammered and it lost 50% of its hash rate price drop you guys all know that kind of stuff and then it was making another run up into november and then it's like i said earlier it sniffed trouble under the economic hood and it's like oh shoot like we're done like we can't go any higher because now liquidity is being withdrawn from the system we're heading into sort of recessionary bear market mode we're I'm done out of so time. yeah Ooh. we're out of time so sixty nine thousand. so i bring all that up to say we're gonna bottom again we may have already bottomed but Bitcoin has making up to do because it lost out on 2021. It basically got punched twice hard instead of going parabolic. So I think it's going to make up and it's going to be much better in the next cycle. So as liquidity gets added, 100K is a no brainer for sure. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know what to say um, other other than I think by 2030, I think a base price, super conservative, I think a million is a, is a kind of a base, very conservative price. Now and we know if, why they call you a bear. Yeah, exactly. But if market conditions are very good and liquidity is like what I think and, and we're having we're on to QE infinity and they're just flooding the system and all this kind of stuff, much higher than that. So at least so at least one at least one So at least one wait. So at hey, least one thousand at least one thousand eight hundred playing of the song. <laughs> So I got a bone to pick with you, Dr. Jeff. Yeah, all right. Oh, oh all right. somebody's got bones. Fight. Fight. That the having doesn't matter. Somebody tag yeah. yellow. Now, my question is, do you think that there will be, that the having's priced in already or it will be priced in when it happens? Or is it, is it all, is it all QE, QT? He said it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, so the having is doesn't matter anymore. You know, he said the four-year cycles don't matter. But I'm asking, prices created on the margin, supply gets cut in half. If demand stays the same, I mean, come on, you got to imagine that there would be some pump from that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's great marketing, right? And and first of all, the having is crucially. I mean, it's critical to Bitcoin, right? Obviously, like everything. So wait, wait, just so I understand, it doesn't matter, and it's critical. (laughs) It's critical for Bitcoin, but talking about price. But not for the price. It's critical. It doesn't matter, and it's critical. We've already seen the bottom, and we might see another bottom. Yeah. And and Bitcoin is going right to 100K, maybe. Is what I've got so far. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Write all that stuff down. This has been an excellent (laughs) run here. Don't stop believing. All of that stuff is the havings are critical to the monetary policy of Bitcoin, right? We all yeah. agree on that. Every, every ten minutes, all, all the difficulty adjustments—that's all critical. There's every time we have a ha- adjustment, every ten minutes. Correct. Every two weeks, there's a difficulty adjustment. The new blocks every ten minutes. Thank you. Yeah. Like, write that down too. Um, adjustment every ten minutes. So, so I don't think this really affect. It's going to affect the price nearly as much going forward. But the havings draw tons of attention to Bitcoin and tons of attention to its very unique monetary policy, and the reason why it's just way better money than government fiat, if that makes sense. So that can generate hype for sure and generate hype for the price. But I think the price is mostly affected, like we're seeing right now, it's mostly affected by macro conditions and worldwide liquidity, basically. And when liquidity is drying up, so too does the price of Bitcoin. When liquidity is expanding, that expands the price of Bitcoin more than any other risk asset. I respect that. I respect that. But I said having is never priced it. 
All right, that's cool. <laughs> Sean yeah. is uh, not a fan of I the could be wrong. market hypothesis. That's good. Yeah, right. Before we get to I'm Rusty's not, question here, before we get to Rusty's question here, Labber's not here, so I want to make sure Jeff gets in a, a prize for today. Um, I'm not going to score. I'm not going to give anybody else a score. Just just Jeff. Jeff is getting Chinese coffee. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. You Luck and brand. Yeah, luck and brand. Yeah. The least I could do, right? I mean, they they took ninety nine percent of my gains, so they could they could at least give me some Chinese coffee. Exactly. All right, Rusty. Hi, Rusty. Rusty. Hey. Hi, Rusty. Yeah. Hey there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just double checking my notes that I'm making. So so <laughs> the halving is really important, but uh, doesn't matter. Okay. All right, yep. My my, so yep. okay, uh, my question my question is though um is uh, what kind of doctor are you? So, <laughs> why did that sound so aggressive? <laughs> are are you attacking me right now, Rusty? I don't think he is. But he, like he what kind of doctor are you? <laughs> yeah, they were totally totally separate points. They were totally separate points I'm making. Uh, separate question. What type of doc- what type of doctor are you? <laughs> Thank you. That was much more friendly. About once a week that I get attacked by somebody on Twitter who thinks I'm, I wasn't a real doctor. So I was a real doctor. I, I retired in October of 2021. MD or DO? MD. So I, so I was a diagnostic radiologist. I wore two hats as a doctor. I was a diagnostic radiologist and I was an interventional radiologist. So diagnostic radiologists were the people that if you go in and get an ultrasound or x-ray or MRI or CT scan, I'm the guy who reads that report and dictates a report. And that goes out to all the other healthcare providers and to the patient. Right. So like, yeah. So you do a, you get a CT scan of yellow's armpit area. And I say, yeah, it looks like there's a sebaceous cyst or an abscess or something right there. Blah, blah, blah. And you know, you were were doing a TA before you're doing TA, like on the bones and stuff. Like, yeah, Yeah. it doesn't look right. Exactly. I was looking at charts of patient bodies and stuff. So that's, that's, that's the one here says you have cancer. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yes, yes. See these lines. So, and then the, and then the interventional radiology, that's the surgery side of radiology. So I did image guided, minimally invasive surgery. So you guys probably have heard of like when people get stents in their arteries or balloon angioplasty, those kind Mm -hmm. of things. Or if you may, you know, somebody who's maybe had cancer, they get a port put in like a catheter underneath their skin. I was a doctor that would put the, do that kind of stuff, like implant devices in people. And I would treat cancer. Like if somebody had a tumor on their kidney, I would poke a tiny little hole in their back and put a probe into the tumor and then I would freeze it or burn it. So they didn't have to have a major surgery. Like they didn't have to get their whole kidney out. I would just kill the tumor. Sometimes change my batteries, but I do it myself. (laughs) So that's the kind of doctor I was, Rusty. I don't do that anymore though. I retired in October. Now I'm just doing finance and Bitcoin. Living the dream. Which was harder? Living the dream finance or medicine what's harder to be right so i was more consistently right as a doctor it's good to hear that makes sense i you know (laughs) i had i had good outcomes regularly with my patients and um but the lifestyle was really hard like being on call every fourth night i I mean that that blows like when your pager goes off at two in the morning it's fun when you're in your 20s and your 30s and then i'm 47 now so after a while like 
ah, man, you know, got to go in. And like, I, I did a lot of trauma related stuff. So people would get in major car accidents and they have pelvic bleeding and they're, you know, they're, they're internal, internally hemorrhaging, they're bleeding from the inside. I was like, I'd, I'd come in and I'd put a catheter in their, their arteries and I'd find the bleeding source get and I'd the stop rest it. Of it out. Yeah, exactly. What's so, up, Rusty? Rusty. Your hey, yeah, up. no, um, follow, follow up question. Um, you were talking about multiple hats. Um, Put your you hand out. Uh, You're already asking the question. The, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, multiple hats. The hat you're wearing now, it just feels like I, I had it in the thumbnail I made for you today. Uh -huh. um, what's the what's the story? What what hat are you wearing right now? So it says Valeshire Capital Management. That's my business. Why the name, I, why the name Valeshire? Oh, I know this. Yeah. It's like uh, Warren Buffett when he did uh, Berkshire. It was a different company. So when he bought Valshire, the sausage company, it was a failing sausage company. He turned it into a. I made this whole a thing. Thriving up. Bitcoin company. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Also, my wife and I were sitting uh, at a restaurant in Vail on a family reunion type thing. And. Um, I, I, I was trying to come up with names and I was on about fail number 100. Have you guys ever tried to come up with a new name for something? It's impossible, like to find a unique name. So the first 100 ideas didn't work and we were sitting there and I'm like, you know, we like Vale. I like the concept of it. And I like the whole concept of a Shire, you know, just a quaint little village. And I thought it kind of signifies like wealth and quaint hominess and security. And so I just threw it. It's literally a meaningless name that I just kind of pieced together and it stuck. You did the German so, thing. You just, you yeah, mashed, mashed two, two words yeah. together. Nice. Yeah. A lot of hedge funds are actually like that, like Bridgewater, Blackstone, Blackrock. Like they just kind of are just like random. Berkshire. Oh, yeah. Berkshire. Yeah. is renowned for its creativity. <laughs> yes. Yes. Chimera. Now we're uh, we're getting towards the uh, the end of our hour this evening, so I'd be remiss if I didn't let uh, RD go through his question. Uh, I want to give him some time to check his notes and make sure he gets it right this time because uh, there've been some mistakes in the past. But RD, take it away. You see my where are my notes? I th Hold on. Where'd they go? I got them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeff. Important question, probably best one of the night oh, yeah. <laughs> if the meme factory did exist and we all know it doesn't who would you like who would you retweet and who would you mute Ooh. wow that's a oh, tough yeah. question you're putting me on the spot here let's see um who would i like mm -hmm. I'd actually probably go with a Rusty. Who would I retweet? I think Yellow, because Yellow makes me laugh regularly. Yes. Good choice. And then what was the third one? Who would I... Mute. 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 Man, well, probably... Probably Sean for being confrontational with me. Yeah. And, believe it, and believing that the four-year cycle still exists, even though I said they don't. Hey, get, get ready. When, when there's a pump after the four-year cycle, I'm hashtagging. <laughs> and I'm tagging yellow. It will, it, will, it will pump after the, the having, but it's not because of the having. Yeah, it'll pump, yeah, it'll after. pump after the having, maybe. <laughs> if it's... He's saying that the I go up to 100, may go up to a million. <laughs> we might go back to a new low. 
All right. Yeah. And Jeff, while you've got us here, are there any questions you want to ask of any of the Meme Factory members while uh, while you've got us? You guys are awesome. This is a lot of fun. That's not um, a question. Yeah, okay. <laughs> How's it going with you guys? Like, do you do you uh, do you do this just completely for fun? Do you are, are you going places with this? Do you, are you going to do any advertising other besides the one I read um, to like make this a, like a, a job type thing where you make some money or not? Or is yeah, this just I mean, for, completely I mean, for fun? I mean, if if Valshire Capital wants to buy an ad spot, uh, <laughs> it's it's expensive real estate on the Meme Factory Pod test streams, but uh, we'd be willing. To maybe talk something, figure something out. Will do. I'll make a note of that. All right. I mean, I think it's great. You guys have a great blend of um, uh, like legit content, but then also you have fun, and that's that's pretty rare in this. We can we can even make another like Welcher Company. That's a maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. The jingle. Oh, hold on. Oh, we're making okay. that meme. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me, uh, let, me, let me do my thing, too. Oh, shit. Sean is a thing. So, speaking of the having. Talk down to us, Sean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the having that doesn't matter. Uh, we ha- the meme factor, you asked, what are we doing? One thing we're doing is we're throwing a having party in El Salvador. Uh, and that would be block height. Anyone? 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 Eight thousand five eight hundred and forty thousand block height. Every two hundred thousand blocks, there's there's a every two hundred thousand blocks, there's a having. And so uh, we're throwing the party, the having party down in El Salvador. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be a three day event. Uh, come on down, Jeff. You're invited. Bring Thank you. Uh, you bring your family. Uh, a lot of people have wanted to go down to El Salvador and then just haven't figured out when to go. Well, now we have an excuse to all go down for the having. It's going to be awesome. You heard that it. Is Everybody an awesome. has I, an excuse to go down. Yeah, I really do want to get down there too. So that would be a great excuse. Yeah, it'll be in uh, 2024. Like May, April, May of 2024-ish. Yeah, I think I think we're going to shoot for March because oh. uh, norm- the having normally comes a little bit before what's predicted. And uh, we'd rather just get it before the having so before or during the having so it keeps building up yeah so plus we had some inside information that says the having might start to be every 10 minutes so <laughs> it could it could be yeah we only got the one shot at this having right party. right yeah you better hurry yeah, yeah. sounds shot. awesome yeah it's gonna, be awesome. it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm go- i actually go down to el salvador tomorrow i'm flying down tomorrow mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, to start planning, we're gonna get venues and get everything. Uh, so okay, cool. yeah, Be- That's cool. I wanted I wanted to talk to you uh, after the stream, but I'm gonna say it now. Okay, so find good chairs, like not the plastic, the cheap one, plastic ones, but yeah. the more heavy duty ones, because um, a lot of Americans are kind of, I don't know. So, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, so get some good ones, plastic ones, and like a tent, and uh, you know, uh, make. Uh, Take some photos. I'm gonna tell you after that. Thanks, Yellow. Just find you want to find chairs and send pictures to you. But large chairs for Americans. Okay, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> All right, Jeff. We're uh, we're about out of time here. Can you tell anybody who's still viewing of this meme factory doesn't where they could find you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter all the time at Vailshire Cap. Uh, I'm on there too much. 
And if you want to learn about uh, Valeshire and my investment stuff, you can check out Valeshire.com. You can, if you're interested in uh, investing with me uh, or my hedge fund, uh, send me an email directly, info at Valeshire.com. But just just buy Bitcoin. That's all you need to do. You can check it out in the show notes. Okay, we're making that meme and we're making it with the voice of Sean Connery, Valeshire. That's a good yes. one. I like that. All right. Thanks for coming in tonight, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Time. It was a Cheers, ton of fun. Jeff. You guys are awesome. Appreciate Thanks, your time. Yeah. Take it easy. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Jeff.